everybody must be accorded his full political right. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. Hi there, my name is Larry Kweeradai and this is Mugabe and me. So thank you for joining me for what is the first of a three-part podcast. And what is my complex relationship with the late former Zimbabwe president, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, as a person who lived life under 36 of his 37 years in power? Now, let's be clear. I'm not here to legislate over who Mugabe was or, you know, dig into his history to create a universal picture that will satisfy everybody. I do not presume to speak on anyone's behalf or push any specific idea about him. Rather, I delve into my experience of Mugabe his um, effect on myself, what I observed, and all of it largely from a distance. Now, because of the length and breadth of his time in my life, some of my recollections may vary, and I'm pretty sure I will forget some things. If I do, it is not because I do not find legitimacy in your experiences, but in this story, I've chosen to share mine from what I remember. I will share some audios of him and also read from some of his speeches. From these, I will reflect a little bit. The three parts of the podcast will look at the development of his personality, resulting in him becoming the first prime minister of the country, the empowerment drive, and then his complicated legacy in general. Uh, in my small way, I try to understand what inspired or drove him to his positions. This isn't just my story. It's a story that lives and breathes within me, in the hearts of some people, and with it perhaps questions that haunt the future. So buckle up and join me as we navigate my labyrinth of Mugabe's life and legacy. First, I must tell you about one of my indefatigable thoughts of Mugabe, no, it's not the Asante Sana moment that will come later. It's the early 2000s, 2002 to be specific. I had just finished my course in computer programming and I just got in a job working as an internal systems administrator at an internet access provider. It was the year of the FIFA World Cup and so it was quite enjoyable. And then I watched this. Having and bearing sanctions banning us from Europe, we are not Europeans. We have not asked for any inch of Europe or any square inch of that territory. So, Blair, keep your England and let me keep my Zimbabwe. I have met him before, having shaken his hand at, what was it, White City Sports Stadium, I think it's called. Incidentally, at one of the children's parties that gets held around this time of the year. It was grade school. Well, this is a while ago, to be honest. I think Sally Mugabe was still alive. I can barely remember, although she would go on to become one of the biggest influences on my life for her publicly facing kind nature. But I digress. Mugabe was a figure who commanded attention, admiration, and in many, fear. He was, depending on who you were talking to, a liberator, a tyrant, a statesman, and a showman, and, at times, all rolled into one. In that statement alone, he rolled all of those into one. He was forthright, he threatened, and sucked up the admiration. The showman was in town, and while some may have said that was the face of a tyrant, others saw the liberator, the defiant statesman. And so, it is quite fitting that I start with this on what would have been his hundredth birthday. 
But first, the TLDR on his background. Robert Mugabe was born on 21 February 1924 to Gabriel Chatunga and Bona at Kutama. Now, Mugabe was exceedingly close to his mother and would name his firstborn daughter from his second marriage, Bona. I qualify this because he had a firstborn son, Namo Zenika, born 27 September 1963 and unfortunately died on 26 December 1966. This was from his first marriage. More on him later. Gabriel, that is the father at least, had five other children with Bona. These were Michael or Mitteri, Raphael, Donade or Donald, Sabina and Bridget. By all accounts, they were poor and the family was forced off the mission village by the unfriendly father Jean-Baptiste Lubier. Tragically, Robert's older brothers, Raphael and Michael, died at a very young age. The latter due to poisoning having perhaps drunk water from a contaminated source. It was soon after that that uh, his father left the family. In one of the few times Mugabe spoke of his father, he said at his sister Bridget's funeral in 2014, and I quote, My father was away for 10 years in Bulawayo where, along with my uncles and other men, mainly from Manikaland, he was fleeced by beautiful Bulawayo ladies. At that time, Bulawayo had a vibrant social life and men across the country flocked to that part of the country. Harare paled in significance in that regard. When he returned, he had married a Ndebele woman and had uh, sired three children, Albert, David and Regina. He loaded his loot into a train and came home. He was so in love with Ndebele women that he brought with him his father and mother-in-law as well as his wife's sisters. I was angry. I could not understand how this Mudara, or old man, could abandon us like that. I could not understand how he could leave us without a school fees or provisions for everyday living. Then I wrote an angry letter. My uncles were not amused, so they asked me to apologize, which I did. So why does this matter so far? Well, there are a couple of things here. The characterization of Ndebele women as specifically beautiful and subject to obsessions such that a man could leave his wife, that is not isolated or a new thing. And it wasn't isolated that, at that time. And many Shona men have persisted with this uh, depiction. And the second is a Mugabe in his teens writing an angry letter to his father as a form of protest at a very young age. We would see a lot of that coming later. The life of want will have made him a fighter who at times would have felt the world was against him. This is merely speculation, but by all accounts, he quickly became a breadwinner while his father was away. On the whole, Mugabe was a product of the Jesuits, becoming a devout Catholic. He was a dedicated schoolchild, and after his father left, Irish priest Father Jerome O'Hare became his surrogate father. O'Hare had taken over from the brutal regime of Father Lubier, who had ruled the parish with an iron fist until his death. Mugabe was a loner, finding solace in his books and not other children, according to Dinner with Mugabe author, the late Heidi Holland. When she quizzed him about it, he, she said, nodded enthusiastically. I always had a book tucked here, gesturing under his arm, when I was a young boy. Yes, I liked reading, reading every little book I found. Yes, I preferred to keep to myself than playing with others. 
I didn't want too many friends, one or two only, the chosen ones. I lived in my mind a lot. I liked talking to myself, reciting little poems and so on, reading things aloud to myself." End quote. Mugabe also became pious and aloof, and it was the pressures of the disappointment of his mother, whom he adored, which sustained him. Could these influences have become the bedrock of his leadership style? Well, perhaps. This isolation would, in my opinion, be the reason for his single-mindedness, which he would carry for the rest of his life. Funnily enough, this is something I would later relate to, perhaps with a few more friends and the one or two he preferred to have. Mugabe started teaching when he was still at school to support his family. His father made a return with his three children from another marriage, but he died soon after. The young Mugabe suddenly had three other siblings on top of those in the household already to feed and add to that his mother. He subsequently left in 1945 after getting his teaching qualifications and got a few jobs in the profession before he got a university scholarship. At this point we get to where he said was the turning point of his life. His time at Fort Hare University in South Africa. He say this speaking at the centenary celebrations for the university. Celebrating the centenary of the University of Fort Hare, an institution I personally regard as the cradle of African anti-colonial ideology and a seminal source of African intellectualism. Here I was academically born. And here I was transformed. And here I discovered, truly discovered, my African identity and African personality. During his stay there from 1949 to 1952, Mugabe would be introduced to Marxism. On his return, he got to teaching in modern-day Mvuma, Harare, and Gweru. While his uh, political consciousness was awakened, he was not part of any movement at that time. Back then, the elite Africans in the 1940s and 1950s were attracted to certain organizations such as the Interracial Association of Southern Rhodesia, the Southern Rhodesia Labour Party, and the Capricorn Africa Society. According to John David Lever in his paper Multiracialism and Nationalisms, a political retrospective on 1950s Southern Rhodesia, Colonial Zimbabwe, these were organizations which placed African agendas on the colonial agendas using liberal sentiment. He says they attracted people such as Garfield Todd and Edgar Whitehead. Mugabe is believed to have been part of the Capricorn Africa Society. His teaching would land him in Ghana, going there as a form of adventure. He would later meet Sally Hayfron at Achimoto College in Ghana, a woman who he deemed an intellectual equal who shared his political interests, someone who would become his best friend and the love of his life. 
But to be clear, it was on the intellectual part he found himself particularly fond of people. In later life, he'll speak of his admiration for smart people, among them the former information minister, Professor Jonathan Moyo. After all, he was a school teacher. We'll now take a break and come back to Namodzenika. We in Zimbabwe did not know about roads until South Africa said <laughs> they had someone called Rhodes in Cape Town. So we are looking after the cops. You have the statue of him. I don't know what uh, you think we should do. Dig him up? Perhaps his spirit might rise again and... <laughs> You are listening to Mugabe and Me, a three-part podcast about my understanding of the late former president of Zimbabwe, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, and his legacy, how it affected me as we commemorate what would have been his 100th birthday. And then back to his son, Namodzenika. But before we get there, this was Mugabe in 1962 as a member of ZAPU speaking to the late Morley Safer of uh, 60 Minutes fame, then a CBC foreign correspondent. And immediately you talk of multiracialism, you are um, accepting as a starting point that the races are different and this difference must be recognized. We are non-racialist in our approach. That is, we regard as an, an individual as an indivi individual and that uh, everybody must be accorded his full political rights, whether he be white or black, educated or uneducated rich or poor and this is exactly why we are at the moment struggling to earn for our people one man one vote while energized politically this was a mugabe we saw before the birth and death of his son even then his classical oratory skills which would forever be in display were there for all to see but Mugabe, politically activated as i said would get uh, arrested by the ian smith regime in 1964 and thrown into prison for sedition. This was after making an anti-colonialism speech in public. His wife Sally was also convicted after she said in public that Queen Elizabeth II could, quote, go to hell. Her two-year sentence was suspended for about a year. Namo fell sick while Mugabe was in prison. Mugabe begged to go and see his son, who at the time was in Ghana. He wanted to visit Sally and give support to her because of the severity of the child's illness. Now, Ian Smith's answer was a blunt no. It was a communist trick. He would have none of it, according to former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, writing in the Australian newspaper on 17 April 2008. An English bishop even offered to play hostage for Mugabe in jail while he went to see his son. And even after Namo's death, uh, well, Smith's response was as blunt as before. He had already said that it was a communist trick and the fact that the child was dead did nothing to alter that, continued Fraser. Mugabe also wrote letters to the UK asking for assistance in accessing his son or even getting to attend his funeral. And some say that created a bitterness in him and Sally this we will explore more of in the third chapter of this podcast.
Mugabe was released from prison in 1974 and fled to Mozambique from where he would eventually take over the leadership of the ZANU party. Whether that was ambition or a culmination of events is subject to various interpretation. What is certain is that after the death of Herbert Chitepo, he became the leader of ZANU. His eloquence made him the focal point of communication with the outside world to speak on behalf of the liberation fighters uh, which, who fell under his ambit in the guerrilla war. Together with Joshua Mkabugongkomo and his PF Zapu party, the two would be part of the defiance resulting in the Lancaster House Conference deal and the constitution which ensued. An election Commonwealth observers say it was fraught with some violence and intimidation resulted in a win for Robert Mugabe's ZANU party, winning the election with 57 seats, followed by Joshua Nkomo's PF Zapu, which took 20, with Abel Mzorewa's UANC claiming three. On the white roll seats, Ian Smith's uh, Rhodesian front grabbed all but two seats. One went to an independent, a certain Dr. Timothy Stamps, and the other to Nick McNally, the head of a party opposed to white dominance, the National Uniting Force. At Independence, Mugabe said, and I quote, I urge you, whether you are black or white, to join me in a new place to forget our grim past. Forgive and forget, join hands in a new amity, and together as Zimbabweans, trample upon racialism, tribalism, regionalism, and work to reconstruct and rehabilitate our society as we reinvigorate our economic machinery. Tomorrow we shall be celebrating the historic event which our people have striven for nearly a century to achieve. Our people, young and old, men and women, black and white, living and dead, are on this occasion being brought together in a new form of national unity that makes them all Zimbabweans. Independence will bestow on us a new personality, a new sovereignty, a new future and perspective and indeed a new history and a new past, end quote. That was 1980. Many would call it boyish optimism, you know, the country was brand new, and uh, some of his comrades were not happy. Well, he chose to break bread with his former oppressors. But how long would that hold? In the next episode, we'll be looking at Mugabe's achievements in the 1980s, his style of ruling as Prime Minister, then President, his empowerment drives and, of course, the economy. All this on the next episode of Mugabe and Me. My name is Larry Quidirai and thank you for joining me. The theme song is provided by Alexander Nakarada and this is a 3Mob Radio production.